Church family, if you'd open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 2, if you need to look in your table of contents to see where Jonah is, that is fine. It is towards the end of your Old Testament. Jonah, what we call one of the minor prophets, not because its message is minor, but because it is a shorter book, just 48 verses and four chapters. And today we begin in Jonah chapter 2. You recall from last week that God spoke to Jonah, his prophet. Jonah's career, as far as we know, was a prophet. And he said to him, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. The Ninevites were a wicked people, and God said, Their wickedness has come before me, and I want you to go and preach to them. Jonah said, Not going to do it. And he went the other direction. And he went the other direction. He was going to go to Tarshish instead of 500 miles one way. He was going to go 2,000 miles the other way. God caused a great storm to come upon the ocean. The sailors tried to save Jonah. Jonah finally said, okay, it's me. Chuck me into the water. They chucked him into the water. The great fish comes and swallows Jonah. That's just a quick recap. But here we are in Jonah chapter 2. And I, if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's word, would you do that now? Jonah chapter 2. And we've got just 10 verses here. Verses 1 through 10. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to me. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that God uh, that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What have I vowed? I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Let's pray. God, our Father, we hear what Jonah has to say. And uh, some of it we understand, and some of it we're like, "Mm, what's he trying to say there? And we trust that you'll help us understand that in the minutes ahead. But more so, we observe what you are trying to do through Jonah's life and how he is an example to us. So God, speak to us today by your word, we pray. If we're to be perfectly honest... And this is church, so you shouldn't lie, right? You shouldn't lie anywhere. But if we were to be honest, we'd have to admit that we're not perfect. If we're honest, we'd have to admit that we all, to one degree or another, struggle with pride. If we're honest, we'd have to admit that we are all sinful. That when the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, all includes us. If we're honest, we have to admit that we are all broken and hurting. If we're honest, we'd have to admit that somewhere along the way, we feel like we've terribly messed up and maybe feel that we 
are messed up. If we're honest, we'd have to admit we cannot make it through life on our own. That we need something beyond ourselves. Even in coming to church, that it's not just worship, it's that God and who He is. It's that I'm not smart, but smart enough to know that I need help. Not that I don't have a strong will, but sometimes strong for the wrong reasons. It's realizing that I can't or I shouldn't do life on my own. When we're honest, we have to admit we need God's help. When we're honest, we have to admit we need Jesus the Savior. When we're honest, we have to admit we need grace. Because if it's not for grace, we're in a world of trouble. What we see today in our message is Jonah inside the belly of the great fish. And what it is, is a message of grace. Last week, we saw Jonah on the run. It was about rebellion. Next week, we're going to see Jonah in the city of Nineveh preaching. It's a message of obedience. And two weeks from now, our final message in Jonah will be Jonah sitting in the sun complaining to God. And it's really a message about God's love. But today is about God's grace and that we need God's grace. And our scripture of the month points us to God's grace and it's from our sermon today and it's Jonah chapter 2 verse 2. So let's read it together. Jonah 2 2. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. Jonah 2 2. Jonah calls out to the Lord God, and God hears Jonah. Your first point on your outline today is that no matter where I am, God hears me. No matter where I am, God hears me. Look at verse 1 and verse 2. It says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed. Now, I called out our friend Jim Glime uh, last week, Jim works for uh, fisheries in our Nebraska game and parks. And I wanted to know how long would it take to grow a fish big enough to swallow a man? Jim had a very scientific answer a long time. We don't know if it was a whale, we don't know what kind of fish it is. Scientists have conjectured, but that's not the important point here. The important part is that God grew a fish, a whale, a something big enough that it could be in the right place at the right time when Jonah went overboard to swallow Jonah and get him back the direction he needed to go. So from inside this fish, and the Hebrew uses the word fish or great fish, doesn't use a word for whale, Jonah prayed to the Lord God, the Lord his God. Notice that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is Yahweh, the one true God. And here's what he says. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. And then he switches, instead of talking about what he did, and then he's speaking directly to God, and he says, And you listened to my cry. We all know what prayer is. It's when we talk to God. But if we're honest, we'd probably say we don't do it enough, right? Especially when we get in a jam and things go south. And what I have to wonder is going back to verse 17 of chapter 1. Chapter 1 verse 17 says, But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now the three days and three nights is, um, they call it an Aramaism. 
It's an expression, a figure of speech that would have been popular among those sort of uh, people of that day, Hebrew people, Israelites, and others that spoke that common language of Aramaic as their day-to-day language. And what it means is it was a period of time more than a day but less than a week. So we don't know if it was exactly three days or three nights, but Jesus refers to it that way, so maybe it was. But think about it. If you're inside a fish, how are you going to be able to tell time? You're not going to be able to say, okay, the sun's up, you know, I mean, unless the fish came up and opened his mouth and you could see. I don't know how all that works, right? How did Jonah know it was three days? I'm not sure. Maybe he knew the day he went into the water and he knew after he got spit back up, you know, he says to somebody, what day is it? You know, and they're like, whoo, dude, you stink. Where you been? He's like, man, it's that long? I was three days and three nights in the belly of this great fish. And they're like, yeah, keep walking, buddy. Whatever you say, but we're not staying around you any. So we don't know exactly how long, but that's not the point. We know it was long enough, and we know that the conditions were treacherous enough that Jonah was fearful for his life. When he says, from the depths of the grave, that's literally from the realm of Sheol. That's how Hebrew people would refer to hell. So he's imagining that he is on the brinks of death, that he is about to die. So here's my question for Jonah. All right, Jonah, if you're here right now with me, I would have one first question for you. Dude, I said dude. Dude, how long were you in the belly of the whale before you prayed that prayer in chapter 2? Was it like the very first minute you get in there and you're like, I think this thing's going to swallow me, right? Because generally when something gets you in its mouth, then you're going to go into its tummy, and you're going to be dead, right? So did he pray right away? God, don't let this thing eat me. God, let this thing spit me back out. Did he pray right away, or did he wait because he was stubborn, and he wasn't going to go where God wanted him to go? And he had to sit there and marinate and smell like fish guts for three days. But here's the point. He called to God. No matter where you're at, God hears you. No matter how far you've run, no matter what you've done, when you pray, God hears you. Your question there asks, how has God shaped my situation? What I mean by that is that God ordained this circumstance to have the whale, the fish, excuse me, swallow Jonah, and start swimming the direction he needed to go so it could, as verse 10 poetically says, vomit him up on dry land so he could then go to Nineveh and preach, right? What has God done in your life that has been difficult for you, even freaked you out or scared you, where you went, how long, how am I going to do this, that you actually stopped and prayed and asked God to help you? Have you ever considered that God is so sovereign and he loves you so much that he will either cause or allow negative, hurtful circumstances in your life in order to get your attention that you might turn and pray to him? He does. He did. Right here. Let's move on. The second point in your outline is that no matter what's happening, God is with me. So the first one is, no matter where I'm at, God hears me. The second one is, no matter what's happening, God is with me. See what it says there in verse 3? 
He says, you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. So now he's thinking about when he was in the water for however long it was before the great fish swallowed him. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Verse 3 is about God's sovereignty. Why? Because it says your. He doesn't say all the waves and breakers threaten to swallow me up. He's saying, God, I realize you controlled the waves. And God, you are in charge of the circumstances. And you are the one that put me in peril because I was running away and disobedient from you. No matter what's happening, God is with me. No matter how I've disobeyed, no matter how far I've run, no matter how long I've run, no matter how much I've sinned, no matter how bad I feel like I messed up, God is with me. And he knows what's happening And he's just waiting on me to come to my senses and turn back to him. God is with me. What does it say in verse 4? He says, you said, I have been banished from your sight. So in other words, he feels like God has banished him and put him away from his sight. I mean, he's either in this moment when he's praying this prayer, he's inside the belly of a great fish. But look at what he said. There's hope in the end of verse 4. Yet I'll look again towards your holy temple. So whether he believes he's going to die and go to heaven and see God in his temple, or whether he believes he's going to live and go back to Jerusalem and see the legitimate temple that was around in those days and time, he believes he's going to make it. There's an element of hope there. He's saying that no matter where I'm at, God is with me, and God is going to preserve me, and God has a plan for me that goes beyond today. So here's my question. When do I turn to God? We don't know if Jonah prayed that prayer at the beginning of the three days, at the end of the three days, somewhere in the middle. But what about you? How stubborn are you? How long will you hold on? How long will you go your own direction? How much will you have to hurt before you turn to God? I'll give you a run for your money. I mean, you know, I can be pretty stubborn. You think I'm a nice guy because I'm the pastor, right? But I'm pretty good at doing things my own way. And I'm pretty stubborn at believing I'm right. And holding out as long as I can until it hurts so much, I finally have to say, okay, God, I give. And I turn to God. Before I pray and ask His help to help me through a situation. The Scripture says in Isaiah Chapter 51, verse 4 and 6 of God and His salvation. He says, give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me. My nation, for the law will go out from me. I will set justice for a light to the people. My righteousness draws near me. My salvation has gone out. My arms will judge the peoples. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look to the earth beneath, for the heavens vanish like smoke, and the earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die like in like manner, but my salvation will be forever and my righteousness will never be dismissed. I'm still God. That no matter what, is happening, no matter how bad it looks, I'm still God and my salvation and my righteousness is still going to happen. God's reminding us we can turn to him no matter where we're at, no matter how far we've gone, no matter what's happening. Your third point in your outline, no matter how bad, God can rescue me. September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. All of us have known somebody, I think, that has died by suicide. And I have to think about how bad it gets 
in order for somebody to think this is the best way to go forward. Our scripture today reminds us, no matter how bad it is, that God can rescue us. You're looking at your life and you're thinking, all right, I can't do this anymore. I can't stay married to the person I'm married to. I can't stay in the job that I'm in. I can't continue to figure out how to parent these kids who are more difficult than I thought they would be. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. No matter how bad, God can rescue. Look at what it says there in verse 5. The engulfing waters threaten me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. Yes, this is poetic language, but it really could have happened, right? He was in the ocean. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. This is the idea that he was in deep in the water, right? And the earth beneath barred me forever. In other words, it was like he thought that he was trapped and he couldn't get out. That's what he's saying. But look at how he turns in the end of verse 6. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah is saying in a poetic way, I was this close to dead. But God, you saved me. God, you preserved me. God, you rescued me. No matter where, no matter how far, no matter how bad, God is with us. We need to ask ourselves a question. What's God saved me from? When you consider your past, your life before Christ, and for some of you, you trusted Christ as your Savior when you were a little kid. So you're like, um, I didn't do a whole lot of bad sins back then, Pastor Aaron, but, you know, we can say, you know, these things I did. But can you imagine what your life might be like without Christ? Look around at family and friends that you know that are not believers in Jesus and don't have the input of Scripture and don't have the avenue of uh, prayer and don't have a church family and friends that support them as followers of Jesus. And look at their lives compared to your life. And I know your life's got problems. You're alive. Problems happen. You sin too. But that you have something to help you through. You have a direction. You have guidance. You have the presence of God if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior through His Holy Spirit within you. What's God saved you from? If we believe in Jesus and we've received him, we are his children. We have the rights of children. We belong to him. He saved us from this world and called us to himself. No matter how bad, God can rescue you. There's probably somebody sitting here right now thinking, "Um, but pastor, you don't know what I've done. Why would God want to save me? How could God save me? And I want to say to you, there's nothing you can do that's greater than God's grace. Nothing you can be that is beyond God's love. God can, God will save you if you call on Him. If you ask Him, you come to Him humbly and ask Him. Let's get to our fourth point on our outline. And that's that no matter how far you've gone, God loves me. No matter how far gone, God loves me. What I mean by this is how far away I feel from God. No matter how desperate the situation seems. No matter how terrible it seems the things I've done or participated in. No matter how far, no matter how much I feel guilty 
no matter how much the devil tries to remind me of my guilt and bring it up as shame. No matter how far gone, God loves me. What's it say in verse 7? It says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. So was this while he was still in the water before the fish swallowed him? Or was this he'd been in the fish long enough without fresh water to drink, without anything to eat necessarily, and he thought he was going to die? We don't know. But he says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. He was so far gone, he thought he was dead. And my prayer rose to you, your holy temple. What's he say in verse 8? Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. As humans, we're idol factories. We make idols out of all sorts of things, whether it's our sports teams or our hobbies or our work or our control, even our addictions, our fears. All these things are like idols to us. But what does Scripture say there? What did he say? Those who cling to worthless idols. Verse 9. But I... With a song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. He can't sacrifice to him right now. He's in the belly of a great fish. But what's he say? I vowed I will make good. In other words, when I get out of this fish, I'm going to sacrifice to you. Why? Because you are the one true God. How do we know he believes that? Because he says salvation comes from the Lord. You are God. You love me. You love everyone. You'll save me no matter how far gone. You hear my prayer no matter how far away. You're with me, God. Salvation comes from you. Your question there asks, what idols should I give up? What idols should I give up? All of us have idols, little g-gods, false gods. I alluded to some earlier, whether it's hobbies or Work or power or control, addiction. All these things that we craft them in the image we want, but somehow then they take power over us. And they use and abuse us and cause us to use and abuse them. All of us have idols in our life unless or until we give them to God. And we say can't do this anymore, God. I need to follow you as the one true God, the sovereign God who loves me and saved me, and I'm not going to follow those idols anymore. Listen to what 1 Chronicles 16, 25 through 27 says. You can write that down. 1 Chronicles 16, 25 through 27. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. That's a little g, God. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. There is one true God, and the Bible tells us about him, and everything else is but a false God with a little g that is an idol. And we see from Jonah clearly revealed that God is sovereign. He controls the heavens and the earth, and he has a plan for Jonah, and he's going to use the heavens and the earth to get Jonah to go where he wants him to go. 1 Thessalonians 1.9. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 says this. For they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, the Thessalonian church. How you turned to God from idols 
to serve the living and true God. Wouldn't it be an amazing testimony of your life if you could point to, here's the things I used to serve, the things that were never enough, the things that took my money, that took my mind, that took my heart, all these little G-God idols, but I turned to serve the one true God and go where he wanted me to go, and I became who he knew I could become. And I'm not like that person that did those things anymore because the Holy Spirit has filled me, and I'm empowered to live a different life because God loves me. No matter where, God hears us. No matter what's happening, God's with us. No matter how bad God can rescue us, no matter how far gone, God loves us. Fifth point on your outline. No matter what manner, God moves us. Verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah on to dry land. Um, There's really no nicer word for that. It it is what it says it is. It spit him up. I don't know if some other fish guts and other things came up, but it spit him up. Remember that Scripture doesn't tell us Jonah left from the seaport of Joppa. He's supposed to go 500 miles that way, right? But he gets on a boat to go 2,000 miles the other way to modern-day Spain. Scripture doesn't tell us how long he was in the boat, how far away from shore they were when the great storm comes. The sailors chuck him overboard. He gets swallowed by the great fish. And so we don't know, did it take three days for the fish to swim back to the seashore so that he'd be ready to Jonah up on the shore? Or did God just have the fish out there swimming laps, letting Jonah marinate a little bit, right? Letting Jonah get convinced that he needed to do God's will. Waiting for Jonah to say the prayer that we have recorded here in chapter 2. We don't know. But I wonder how many of you feel like you're in the belly of the great fish and you're out doing laps, right? And you think, how can my life get better? Why is my life so bad? And all the time God's going, hey... If you would just pray and ask my help. Hey, if you would confess your sin. Hey, if you would repent, you're right beside the shore and I'll just command the whale to go to the edge and boop, you're out. And then you can obey me. And then you can go where I've called you to go. My point is this, that no matter what manner God uses, whether it's a great fish or whether it's your circumstances, God's going to move you to where He wants to move you because He is sovereign. So my question there is, what's my whale? Now, I know it's a great fish, but what's my great fish just doesn't sound as cool, right? What's my whale? What's the whale in your life that God is using in order to get you to go where He wants you to go? What circumstances has God put you in in order to make you to turn to Him? What circumstances have you got yourself in because you were sinful and disobedient and running away from God? That then life got hard and then you had to turn back finally and say, God, I need your help. I'm in a jam. How long does it take? How far do we have to go? How much pain do we have to go through in the midst of that whale, using it figuratively, before we pray and before God says, all right, I'm going to swim you right back over to where I want you to go. 
and I'm going to get you moving the direction I want you to go. What's your whale? You've got another question there by means of conclusion to help you apply. That next question is, who or what is God using? Who or what is God using to move me to his will? Now, God in his sovereignty doesn't always use something that negative. Sometimes he just lets us stay out there, right? Sometimes he lets us stay in our sinfulness, stay in our rebellion. But because he loves us, he's not going to let us be. And he can use a circumstance, a person, a thing, a combination thereof to be the whale that turns us back to him, that gets us going to be obedient to him. Which begs a question, why? Why would God do that? Why would God use something hurtful? Why would God use something negative? Why would God use something painful in order to turn me back to him? Because he loves you. He'll let you wander off. He'll let you get in a jam. He'll give you enough rope to hang yourself. If everything else has failed, if you've ignored all the red warning flags waving about all the series of bad choices you've made that have led to the mess that your life is, that because of your sinfulness, your rebellion, your addiction, your control, your fear, your power, name it before you ask for his divine intervention. My addict friends have this question, and here's the question. Have you hit your bottom yet? Have you gotten so low that there's no lower you can go that you have to finally look up and say, God, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot struggle with this addiction. I cannot struggle with this control. I've got to turn back to you. God loves us enough to let us hit our bottom. But remember, he's with us at the bottom. He hears us at the bottom. He's going to call us up out of the bottom. He may send a whale, a person, a situation, something scary, something worrisome, something challenging, something. Why? To bring me back to him. What about you? God loves you too much to leave you in your sin. God loves you too much to leave you alone in your situation. God loves you too much to leave you unchanged and unchallenged. But I've got good news too. You don't have to wait for the whale. You don't have to wait for things to get that far gone, go that far south. You can turn back to God right now. You can surrender to Him. You can Confess your sin. Repent and turn from your sin. Promise yourself to be obedient to Him and get others around you to help you in that obedience. Ask His forgiveness. Ask the forgiveness of anybody else you've sinned against. Seek His face daily through the Bible and in prayer and change your life to be what God desires you to be in obedience to Him rather than what you've got it to be running away from him, that he needs a great fish to swallow you up, to let you marinate, to get you back 
to where he's got you to go. God loves us. And sometimes God uses extreme circumstances to get our attention. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you today and we're humbled by this lesson from your word. As I thank all of us by your Holy Spirit have probably thought of something that you have used in our life to get our attention to turn us back to obedience to you. And God, it's because you love us. You don't want us to run away. You don't want us to hurt ourselves and others. And so you allow us. But you're always ready for us. So our Father, we pray today that we would be broken before you. That we'd be able to confess our sins. Repent and turn from those sins. And we thank you that you welcome us back. Because you are the father. And if we're the prodigal, you're still waiting and watching. Ready to throw us a party when we come home. So father, for those that hear my voice now. Who have never trusted Christ Jesus as their savior and lord. Maybe today is the day they say, I need to place my faith in Jesus. Commit my life to be his follower. For those of us who have trusted Christ Jesus, but we have um, gotten off on our own sinfulness and disobedience. Maybe we feel like we're in the belly of a whale right now. And this was our wake up call. Would we confess and repent right now? Or maybe, God, there's some of us. That we know we're in sin, but we're not in bad enough circumstances yet to make us feel like we have to turn to you. But we hear this message and we realize we should turn to you. God, make us obedient now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.